Welcome to podcast number 13 of My Favorite Detective Stories. Today's date is August 20th, 2018, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. David Watts is a licensed private investigator specializing in fraud and business investigations. He started his career as a patrolman in Plainfield, New Jersey in 1961, became a detective and then an investigator for the Union County Prosecutor's Office. In 1976, he and his wife started their private investigations business, and for over 50 years, Dave has traveled the country searching for the truth on behalf of high-powered corporate clients. He has written two books, Accidental P.I., A Private Investigator's 50-Year Search for the Facts, and a novel titled Loose Ends, Murder in the New Jersey Suburbs. And now, on with the show. My Favorite Detective Stories podcast features past or present detectives and investigative journalists. As a working investigator of over 42 years, I hope to inform, inspire, and entertain you with great stories. We want to learn from our guests how they got started in the field and why they decided to become investigators in the first place. Listen as they tell us about the early years and who were their mentors and why those mentors had such a huge impact on their careers. We'll explore what makes for a good investigator and what makes for good investigators investigation. But most importantly, after you get to know our guests, we will ask them for their favorite detective story, or maybe two. Stay tuned. The interview is about to begin. Hi, Dave. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Pleasure to be with you. And how are, how are things down in Jersey today? Oh, it's a beautiful day. It's sunshine. The birds are chirping. And uh, after the winter we've had here, uh, believe me, people around here are very happy to see this. Oh, I know. This week, uh, spring exploded in uh, Milford, Connecticut, as I speak. Um, today's date is uh, May the 4th. Uh, May the 4th be with you. And uh, 2018, and as we record this. So uh, my my listeners by now have, have had me ask my guests over and over again, hey, how you doing down there? What's the weather like? What's going on? What's what's happening today? And between investigators, we know we know darn well why I asked that question because um, a lot of our life is dependent upon, believe it or not, the weather. You know, wh- where we go, what time we go there. Uh, like I was saying to you earlier, if we were to go out and try to canvas a, uh, a witness, uh, canvas for witnesses at, a, at a, a crime scene or an accident scene, do we want to be out there when it's uh, nice and sunny or do we want to be out there when it's threatening rain? If we have a choice, well, we're going to pick the time when it's better for us. So, or uh, daylight, we're worried about what, you know, what, when we're going to be on somebody's doorstep and when we shouldn't be, things like that, depending on what neighborhoods we are. So I guess being field investigators, we have to be more aware of uh, the weather and our surroundings, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. And uh, you bring up the point of the neighborhoods. Uh, some of them are fine. There's no problem. Others, uh, uh, you might even want to bring some uh, some help along. Um, so yeah, you have to you have to look ahead a little bit. Absolutely. Yes. So <clears throat> I did tell my uh, uh, listeners already that uh, you've been a private investigator for over 50 years. So now at this stage of your career, when people ask you what you do, what do you tell them? Well, isn't that an interesting uh, question? Um, most generally, I just say private investigator, and, and uh, that conjures up a bunch of oohs and ahs and things like that, because people do associate that so with TV and the movies. But uh, uh, if an attorney or somebody in the, in the professions asks me, I tell them I'm a legal investigator. 
And then that, they ask, well, what does that mean? You know, or uh, if it's a, a company, say some corporation, I might say I'm a fraud examiner because I am a legal investigator and fraud examiner as well as a private investigator. So it kind of depends on who's asking the question, even though all three kind of meld into the same. But that's sort of the answer to that, John. Okay. Now, I reached out to you a while ago, Dave, because I, I've just seen a, a wealth of experience over the decades with you. And I just wanted to uh, let our listeners know that uh, you got started in this uh, a long time ago. And uh, just tell me, how did you get started? Well, when I got out of high school, I went to Rutgers University for a year and uh, no uh, no aspersions against Rutgers particularly, but I just hated it. I hated college. I just couldn't sit in a classroom. It was so boring. Not that I'm some sort of a mental giant, but it was just boring. Um, I had an opportunity to go on the Plainfield Police Department. Uh, so I went on the police department. I, I found myself at that point. Um, and, uh, and what year was that, Dave? The ninth, March of 1961. I went on the Plainfield Police Department and uh, a year later I was married. So my wife and I will be married 56 years tomorrow. May 5th. Congratulations. And, uh, yeah. Well, it was, I always tell everybody we 55 years out of 56 were good. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so I was drafted the year after, a uh, month after we got married. We spent two years in Massachusetts. I was in the Army as a military policeman and then got out, came back, and uh, they, the police department sought fit to make me a detective in a special unit, uh, narcotics, gambling, um, prostitution, vice, etc. Mm-hmm. So I worked Worked in that for a couple of years and then got booted up to the prosecutor's office, worked there for a few years. And this is all in the 1960s when you had the riots and a great deal of unrest in the country. Sure. And what uh, what county was that? That was Union County, New Jersey. Okay. So I looked around uh, and uh, I looked at my fellow officers and uh, a lot of them were disillusioned. And I thought, you know, we're young. We weren't, weren't quite 30 yet. I said, you know what? I, I got to look around. So I went to work for an insurance company for six years and I learned civil claims, mm-hmm. which was just such a difference, you know, between, um, the criminal meaning proving a case beyond a reasonable doubt versus civil on the civil side. It's just simply a preponderance of evidence. So it was like a whole different world, but it really helped me later on. And after five or six years, I forget which, uh, in the, uh, best, in, uh, the insurance company, I got my first first license uh, to do PI work in 1976. And uh, it just took right off. It was interesting. So uh, you started your uh, police career when John F. Kennedy was president and uh, became a uh, uh, private investigator, I guess, maybe during uh, Jimmy Carter's uh, time. Sounds about right. Just about right. Yeah, sounds about right. So uh, and interesting that you should talk about that, because uh, there there are skill sets that are very much related to uh, police work and uncovering reasonable or not not uncovering reasonable out, but uh, uh, uncovering the, the facts of a crime, the elements of a crime. And then there are uh, t- totally different skill sets that are needed in the claims business, uh, understanding uh, policy language, understanding the claims mechanics, understanding how adjusters do their job. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. And, then, uh, <clears throat> and then trying to apply both sets of skills to your PI work. So uh, a newly minted PI in 1976, what was it like? Well, it was interesting. Uh, at that point, we were in our mid-30s, and uh, my wife and I, we worked together. Uh, a lot of the cases that we had in the very beginning w- 
or for insurance companies trying to show overstated claims, fraudulent and overstated claims. So we would uh, be assigned by the claims adjuster or by the SIU unit, that special investigation unit, to go out and watch somebody and see what they were doing, do surveillance. So we had an old 1975 Dodge Maxi van. It was it was almost as long as an aircraft carrier, I swear. So we used to go out in the morning. Linda would make sandwiches. I'd, I'd load the van up and off we'd charge into the sunset, the two of us, sunrise, the two of us. We'd be in some part of the yellow map, at, uh, you know, part of the map at around six o'clock in the morning while people are getting up. And we'd follow people and we'd catch them doing things they said they couldn't. So that was working for the insurance companies. But we grew from there. It took a while. Um, and the different attorneys and, and, uh, people would call and ask, do you do this kind of thing? Do you do that? And I could always harken back to, uh, the insurance company or to the detective work that we did that I did at the time when I was young. So it was a uh, building on experience, what it was. And, sure. uh, we just, we, we carved our own niche in the world. We created ourselves and, uh, went from there. And it was a time when, uh, you were on the cusp of, uh, new types of work to do and the technology wasn't quite there yet. Oh, um, no, it wasn't at all, John. Uh, we, we used, uh, Motorola radios that were the size of a, of a brick with a big antenna sticking up out of it, uh, to talk from car to car. Uh, we, uh, no, it was it was primitive. We, Linda had a smart typewriter. I don't know if you know if you remember back. You might be too young, but they, they called it a smart typewriter. It could do some forms and so forth, but it wasn't a computer. No. We didn't have computers then. It was uh, and uh, so it was interesting. We we really worked our way into the modern age through. Uh, I, I guess in some respects, I was dragged kicking and screaming into it. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, no. But uh, to to your point, doing surveillance work. What type of camera were you using back in the early uh, in the mid seventies? Super. That's it. And yeah. uh, this is uh, eight millimeter film that right. had to be uh, that had to be processed at one of those overnight labs. That's right. And then uh, and had to be then put into a uh, projector to right. be to be projected for uh, your client yeah. to watch. That's and then right. later on, we later on, we finally got into video in, in the early 80s. I think might have been 1981 or something like that. Uh, that was interesting because you had this this camera that weighed about eight pounds with a wire wire sticking out of the back of it that went into a, into a VCR and you would you would uh, <laughs> you had to play it and then you could uh, hook it into a TV so it was a little bit better than having to have it processed but it was still you know everything developed now what do we have right now you have it on your iPhone so. yeah or a pinhole camera right pinhole cameras yeah sure right so uh, <clears throat> yeah so the technology has changed but we've also changed with it over the years as well but change so, or die change yeah. or die so it just seems from our conversation so far that uh, you had an opportunity to uh, learn the trade both as a police officer detective and then uh, in the claims business and then on your own as an investigator were there any uh, mentors that you give credit to in the early days and and how did you you know credit them for giving you the the skills and the mindset to do what you did oh my goodness um too many too many to uh, to even conjure up I, I will say this much uh, as far as mentors and I, this is advice i would give to anybody up and coming opportunity knocks opportunity knocks but you have to be focused enough to see it and smart enough to take the risk and and, and just just do it now linda and i used to keep one foot oh, this is sort of metaphoric we used to keep one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat and when the stretch got too much we made a decision well okay let's go and do it you know what i mean you try to you be prudent about the decisions you make you don't make foolish rash decisions but you can't be afraid to make decisions either and that's the problem that's the conundrum in uh, 
in in business, you know. Oh yeah, chasing too many uh, bright shiny objects. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and we never were uh, concerned about competition. Uh, if I wasted any time on competition, I wasn't paying attention to my work. I let my work speak for itself, and I think that's another good piece of advice to give the, to the uh, young people. Yeah. Uh, don't apologize for your work. Make sure it's the best that you can give, and don't worry about the next guy. No, you're absolutely right. Um, worrying about your competitor or what your competitor are doing doesn't uh, make your product any better and doesn't make you any uh, uh, more proficient at procuring uh, customers to do the work that you do. And speaking of that, uh, you talked about the early days doing a lot of insurance fraud investigation, doing a lot of, uh, I, I take it, bodily injury and workers' comp. and Correct, that's right. Limited, uh, limited disability uh, surveillances. But then you branched out. You began working with other attorneys, and then you got into the corporate world. Can you talk about how your skills ch- skill sets that, changed and moved? That was very, very interesting transition. Um, what happened was the fellow that I worked with on the Plainfield Police, as a matter of fact, I broke him in the radio car a little younger than I. And uh, as the years progressed, he became a lieutenant on the police department. And then he left and went to work for, um, well, I guess I can say it. It's not a, he went to work for Johnson and Johnson, a great big corporation. And uh, one day he called me and he says, Dave, you still doing that PI work? I said, sure. We just, you know, it's only been a few years. Absolutely. He said, I've got some work for you if you want it. Well, that's how it started. Sometimes you just get a break, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, he wanted me to work on some things for the company. I did. And uh, there were some threats from some terrorist, uh, domestic terrorist folks. So we we did some, um, you know, against their laboratories. So we did some work on that. And uh, first thing you know, our reputation grew and uh, we were referred to other corporations. So we ended up working for many of the major Fortune 100 people um, with big offices across the country, and it was uh, it was a thrill. I mean, really, uh, when they call you and they want it done, they want it done, but they don't they don't question your bill. They don't they don't care how much time you put into it. They uh, you treat them fairly, and they uh, they get back to you. So it was it was very good. It was just wonderful. wonderful. Yeah, and what you're describing to me is more of a uh, partnership with your client rather than being a, a task runner or a lead runner or just a commodity. Uh, uh, pick it up, you know, they take your name. Oh, absolutely. You. Take absolutely. your name. I, re- I remember one time uh, at one of the J&J offices, uh, uh, they were having a problem. Uh, I think it had to do with uh, strikers and, uh, and there was some people acting violent and this and that. So I had to go. I remember I remember the manager was a red haired fellow and they called me and uh, they called uh, the main office. And the main office down in New Brunswick sent me to uh, to this this man's office. And I went in and there were sofas all around the outside of the room. And all of these mid-level executives were all sitting there. And, and the redheaded boss was in the middle of his big desk. And I sat down and they were all going over this issue. So they went over it and over it and over it. Every time the boss would say, something everybody would nod their head and say yes yes that, 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 that's right that's right that's right and then finally red turned to me and he said mr watts what, what do you think about that i said well i i would say to you that you you might want to rethink it because i think you're exposing yourself to some liability that's unnecessary and we may be able to go this through this in a more subtle way all i need to do is come up with some more information well the mid-level people were looking at each other so shocked that anybody would disagree with red mm. you know and uh, he looked and smiled and looked around. He says, now, you see, that's why corporate sent him down here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, 
yeah. So, so here I started yeah. out doing traffic on the corner of Park and Second in Plainfield, and it was like 15 years later. I'm advising one of the uh, board members of uh, Johnson Johnson. So well, it was interesting. But you had uh, you had the uh, the walk that backed up the talk. Yeah. Well, I yeah. had been there. Yes. Yeah. Your uh, your uh, uh, the guy that you broke in on the Plainfield PD that went to Johnson and Johnson uh, knew of your track record, knew that you were successful, knew that you could do the job. Uh, you're right. You go into the client and you and you say what you can do. You say what you can't do, and you say what you could do if you had more information. And you explain what you need to get. <clears throat> and uh, as long as you're not uh, puffing it up or exaggerating your skill sets, and you're talking straight with the client, they're going to be very very happy to uh, talk with you and engage you in how to go yeah. about doing the job. And probably more so than if you were to just take direction from them. In other words, it's an it's an engagement. It's a conversation. It's a discussion. It's two heads working on the problem rather than being told what to do. And with no arrogance, that's the key too. You know, even though even though I sat there and I, I listened to all of this corporate gobbledygook, <laughs> I knew they were going down the wrong rabbit hole. But you, you can't just say that, you, that you're doing this all wrong. <laughs> sure. Just, you have to have a little bit of, uh, of diplomacy and you have to have to back it up, back up your facts with what you are going to say. But at the same time, you, you, you have to develop um, you know, a smooth uh, presentation so that you don't insult anybody's intelligence. So you, you traveled around the country uh, for all these different uh, uh, companies. We yes. did. We did uh, when practical. Uh, there were other times when I developed over the years. I was I was really very interested in um, some of these organizations, and uh, I joined them, and I'll talk to them about them if you like to. But uh, to be able to reach out somebody to somebody like a John Hoda in Connecticut or, or uh, Kerry Farney in Orlando, or I can go down the list. Other investigators who are very confident and who you could trust and could speak the language so that we could talk about what, what's going on. Sometimes you might say, look, I have a client. He's a real pain, but he's got a problem. And uh, this is how we're going to have to deal with it. And the other guy at the other end understands that. So I used to deal with other people too. I would I would always take half a loaf, be happy to take half a loaf as long as the client got what he needed. Absolutely. And uh, and I, I cannot appreciate that as well. I, I know that I've been a member of a couple national, actually international organizations now for quite some years. And I go to the conferences and yes, I do learn. And yes, uh, I do you know talk to the vendors about the latest gadgets and toys. But I think the networking with my peers from around the country is the most important thing. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I know that uh, just uh, the other day I had a case uh, where um, uh, a client needed uh, some assistance in um, outside of the United States, and I went into my uh, into my uh, Rolodex. I guess that's what you would say, the old-fashioned word. I went into the uh, to the uh, association's uh, membership list, found uh, two people in the area that I could contact. One of them returned my call like in five minutes. I was discussing the investigative objective. And I did not have to be in the middle of that anymore. I gave them right to my client. And I knew that that person from a previous uh, uh, meeting at a conference. And I knew that he would treat my client well. Sure enough, got a good report on it uh, shortly thereafter. And now I have a, I continue to have a happy client. I have a friend out in that part of the 
you know, outside of the United States. And uh, it, it just turned out to be a, a win-win situation. So sure. And sure. Um, that's, that happens. Yeah. yeah and the networking is, I guess, that's still old fashioned for me. Uh, you know, yeah, we're, we're part of the internet now. And yeah, we can get our hands on somebody in zip codes all throughout the United States. They've been vetted through other organizations, but nothing like sitting down, you know, at a conference and meeting with them and seeing them and talking to them and hearing what they're, how they go about their investigations and how they, how they think and, and how they present themselves. And then right. you can, then you know that that's somebody that you would want to have working on your team, not working. And I, lo- and I love the war stories. <laughs> yeah. When you go to these, uh, you, everybody will tell you about the, the latest case that has them giggling, you know, so I know that's all. It's always fun too. So, you know, one of the things that I, I, I'd like to just touch on you with you on is that over the years, you've seen, uh, investigations done. I'm sure you've had to take out and take over investigations from other investigators. And you've also worked alongside other investigators. Investigators, and I, I just want to ask what you think is the difference between a competent investigation and one that really sparkles. Well, I I think probably the answer to that is in the reporting. Uh, um, one of the answers, I guess, but, uh, a good report is just it is so important because you think the only guy that's going to read the report is the guy that you have on the phone or, or in this case, I suppose, email. But that report is that report is uh, in stone and and it gets passed around in a law firm or in an insurance company and people read it. And uh, it's very important for um, the investigation report to look good and to not make unreasonable assumptions or stupid assumptions. Mm-hmm. The report is really important. But the difference between a, um, a, a competent investigation and one that really sparkles is, I guess, um, in the eye of the beholder, uh, it depends what, the, uh, what your client's looking for. Um, I guess uh, I guess I I just go back to the reporting. Okay, it's really really important to have a a clear, well thought out report. And a lot of people don't like to do reports, but if you don't like to do a report, then hire somebody who does mm-hmm. and uh, and get it done. And uh, that that may be your weakness. So hire to your weakness. Now exactly. I, I understand the importance of uh, reporting. I think reporting spells out what steps you took, you know, the logic behind them, how you arrived at the leads you did, how. You you uh, dealt with the leads, what obstacles you had to overcome to get there. I think it's, sh- I think a, a good report lets the, uh, the recipient know the quality of the investigation that went into it. There's a lot of great quality investigation that never goes into a report because the person never bothers to put it in there or or, or writes it so poorly yes. that it's lost. And uh, yeah. so I, I can understand. I, 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 I can tell you that that uh, I have gotten more new clients simply on the basis of my report being passed around. Nice. And I, I just think that that's uh, that's really that's really important. I, I don't disagree with you. So uh, what are you working on these days, Dave? Well, I, uh, I've cut back, uh, as far as, uh, you know, the old 200 cases on the board business, which we used to do. We had, we had a dozen investigators, four surveillance vans. We were licensed in four states. And, uh, so it was a really, it was madness for a while, you know, uh, but I've cut back because, uh, I'm, I'm writing now. I'm, I'm writing, uh, I wrote a memoir, Accidental PI, and I enjoyed writing it so much that, uh, uh, now I'm writing novels, and those the novels that I write uh, have close connections with a lot of the cases that I worked on over forty some years. So I could pull back and and uh, think about what our what our mindset was during a particular case, and I, I try to bring my novel more to life because of the experiences that I've had. So, I had a lot of fun, a lot of fun doing that. Now uh, the full title for Accidental PI is Accidental PI: A Private Investigator's Fifty Year Search for the Facts. 
That's right. available on all the uh, electronic platforms. Also, it's av- available in print too, Dave. Oh yes, it's uh, eBooks as well as uh, uh, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. I'm getting very good reviews on Amazon <clears throat> for that for that book. Yeah, that's great. And then the second book, Loose Ends: Murder in the New Jersey Suburbs. Now that's a novel. Yes. All right. So uh, <clears throat> some of these stories were coming to you, or some of these ideas were coming to you on those long, long days of surveillance, and you thought about some what if, what if, what if, and they start, you started putting some of these together. And then as you started your writing career, I guess maybe you just had the creative juices flowing. Can you tell me about that a little bit? Yeah, well, I just, uh, you sort of live vicariously through your characters. You know, I, I created characters that uh, I thought would be interesting. And, and those characters are based loosely, but also pulled from some of the people that I've met and worked with. But one of the things that I've started doing now in my novels is including real live people. Uh, Bob Higgins is an investigator at Skylands Agency up up in, uh, he lives up in Warren County. And um, he agreed to be in the book as himself, ah. uh, which which is kind of cool because uh, Bob's a cool guy. And uh, we have a lot of fun with uh, the cases that we've worked on together. He with his business, I with mine over the last 30 years. And uh, so he agreed to be, he and Brenda, his wife, agreed to be, <laughs> be in loose ends. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, uh, and now the, the second, the second novel, which is my third book, is called The Dementia Conspiracy, and uh, it's uh, Chasing a Whistleblower's Diary is the subtitle, mm. and uh, Bob is in that one, but also I brought in Kevin Murray. Kevin Murray is a real live uh, investigator himself, but he specializes in uh, uh, debugging, goes all over the world for governments and so forth, so he agreed to be in it, too. So I'm having fun. I'm just having a ball. That's great, and after a long career, I mean, 50 years in the business, my lord uh that's that's fantastic you know um and and to your point i mean i think the accidental pi would be a great read for a novice coming out into this business trying to get an understanding of what it was like and how this business has has morphed over the years and and the the trials and tribulations of a private investigator no doubt about it but i think your your uh fiction writing uh, uh loose ends and then the next novel also can be uh good uh reading too from an inspirational standpoint that you can pull for the uh, protagonist you can pull for the uh, the detectives in the case right and 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 you and you want to see what they go through and why and how they get around it i know that over the years i've been an avid reader of uh police procedurals and crime thrillers and there are some uh fictional private detectives that uh i i've looked at and said uh i can see how they've overcome those hurdles how they overcame those obstacles and that became inspirational for me so uh, i would never say that uh, fiction is not for people that want to learn their craft or get better at their craft. In fact, I think the fiction, I think the fiction helps with, uh, uh, seeing the craft, uh, in a more creative light and seeing different hypotheses that are, uh, t- uh, spot, um, tabulated and how the people, uh, how the private investigators overcame those obstacles. So I, I think it's great to, to see that as well. Uh, well, you know, there's, there's uh, always an element of truth in a novel because, uh, novels are, if, if you write a novel, it has to appeal to the entertainment value, but it, it also can't be so far out that people say, 
well, what the heck? That that's not possible. That couldn't be. So it's yeah, there has to be some connection with uh, with real life. And uh, in my case, I, I'm pulling on the experiences that I've had to create these things. Oh yes, so, without a doubt. Yeah. So it's it's that time in the uh, podcast when my listeners are saying, okay, okay, we know enough about our our guest. Let's hear <laughs> about let's hear about their favorite detective story. So I sure you ha- I'm sure you have one lined up for me, Dave. Well, I do. Um, this is a, a case that I handled. Uh, a long time ago, but uh, it stuck with me. A young man just married with, with two kids was uh, driving in his MGB convertible, little sports car, and he was driving in some of the hilly areas with the turns and so forth in uh, in northern New Jersey, and the car flipped over, and he was killed, and he was 24 years old. His father owned a, a manufacturing business, and Junior worked in the business, was probably going to inherit it someday. And uh, the police that investigated it, not their fault, I don't mean fault, but they investigated the accident. And they came to the conclusion that uh, the young man was driving his sports car too fast on these hilly roads and lost control and, and was killed. The father came into the attorney's office and said, and said, this is not possible. My, my son's a slow driver. He's very responsible. He's got two kids at home. He never even had a wild side when he was younger. There's something wrong here. So the attorney set me loose on the case. He says, just, just do what you think we have to do. So I went to the scene. I took pictures, did went through all the usual stuff that you do. And, uh, there really, really nothing stood out. And, and, uh, I, I told the attorney, I said, where's, the, I, we need to look at the car. He said, oh, the car's gone. The car's gone. You know how heartbreaking that is, John, when you, you want to take a look at the vehicle and it's already been crunched up, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. I said, well, let me just take a stab at something else. So I did a title search on the car and I found out that the insurance company had totaled it and that the car was bought by a fellow named George Fellegi, F-E-L-E-G-I. George Fellegi says, okay. So I found George. He was up on the top of the Kittatinny Mountains out in the woods. He lived on a farm. He was just sort of a grease monkey type of guy. He was a mechanic. And I drove up there and his 150 pound dog Thor <laughs> greeted me at my uh, driver's window. It wouldn't let me out of the car. Eventually I got to talk to George and I told him about the accident. And he says, Oh yeah, I bought that car. And he says, I, I needed parts for the MGB that I had. So I said, well, that's too bad. Uh, I started to get back in the car. He says, but I know how it happened. And I thought, sure, this guy knows how it happened. He said, the, the right rear spring broke. The right, wow. rear, the right rear spring broke. He says, yeah, it's here. It's behind the barn. I'll show you. He took the spring off the car and uh, threw it behind his barn. So I went back there with him, and it was, the grass had started to grow over around it and so forth. So I took a picture of him, took a picture of the of the spring, and I, I tagged it. And uh, I said, George, why do you think the spring had to do He said, well, look at the end here. It's called fretting corrosion. Now, British Leyland made the car in those days. Sure did. So I brought the spring back to the attorney's office. And said, I, th- I think we have an auto products liability case against the international <laughs> automaker. So we, we flew the spring to Detroit to a metallurgist who promptly agreed. We had the fender also. So we took the fender down to Atlanta to a, another um, uh accident reconstructionist and he put he had his input into it so we're standing there in atlanta there's four or five people standing around the corner they're all around the table and they're all big shots and uh, the attorney is running the show and everything and we're passing these photographs around that the police had taken <clears throat> now you know these mgs have this little that's called a windscreen it's not a it's not a real windshield it's just this pop-up windscreen mm-hmm. and 
the police had alleged that he was going too fast. And I'm looking at the photographs and they're all talking and talking and talking. So I interrupted. I said, excuse me, uh, there's something I see here that you might want to want to think about. The framework on this windscreen was flat, flattened, crunched, flattened right down, not swept back, as you would expect. If a car is going fast and the car rolls over, the windscreen would be would be flattened backwards toward the driver, right? Mm-hmm. But no, this was just a flop, and the, the windscreen was just crunched right down in place, giving further evidence to the fact that it was not speeding. Right. right? They all looked at each other. I mean, it was such a simple thing that sometimes it's, it just takes – common sense to look at step back and look at something you know sure so anyway what the the long and the short of it is is that the attorney jim he flew back and forth a couple times to uh, england for depositions and so forth and uh, the case was settled and the father of the the, uh, young man and his widow were very happy to know that it wasn't uh, uh that he lost control or was being foolish it was a it was a fault of the vehicle and uh British Leyland paid mm. and uh, probably put a couple of kids through school. So I felt good about that because it it, it uh, was going the next step. And that is something that young people coming in this business have to understand. You've got to go the next step. It's not a checklist uh, mentality. It's not going. No. Uh, it's not just uh, doing a job well enough to uh, satisfy. It's satisfying your curiosity as to why things don't look the way they did. Like you did with right. the photographs, you know. A lot of people looked at those photographs and they didn't understand the appreciate or appreciate them. You looked at them and said, "Well, if this car is going fifty or sixty miles an hour, that car, that windshield windscreen is going to be swept back." But because right. the vehicle was going at a small, a, a short, a slower speed, there wasn't enough, enough uh, force against the uh, windscreen to force it back. And so when the yeah. car rolled over, it got smushed, for lack of a better it, word. I think that's, came, that's it, a legal term, to, right? Smushed, smushed. It came to a, it came to a stop quickly because yeah. it just flopped over right and of course it fell on he, he's a convertible so it just killed him with Terrible. no with no roll bar if i right. remember correctly yeah right. that's a that's a hell of a story day i mean i really like that i like that a lot and i like the uh the moral of the story too that's important i'm glad that you, you said that yep so um birds are chirping it's a lovely day in jersey what do you got planned for the rest of the day dave well I'm probably going to go back to doing some rewrites. Okay. <laughs> my last, my uh, current book, uh, The Dementia Conspiracy. So I'm, I'm working on that. It never grows boring for me. Some people hate paperwork. I, I just seem to get into it. I don't know. Call me strange. Okay. I won't call you strange. I'll just call you Dave. <laughs> and, uh, when, uh, and, and when you do have that uh, next book out, please send me a line and I'll pass it on to my listeners as well in my blog and in my uh, emails. And, but right now we have Accidental PI, a private investigator's 50-year search for the facts, and uh, the second book is Loose Ends, Murder in the New Jersey Suburbs by my friend David B. Watts. Thank you so much, Dave. I certainly appreciate it. My pleasure, for sure. Take care, John. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments on the website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Our next guest will be Shannon Sykes-Mack. 
She's an active law enforcement officer with 19 years of service. She holds the rank of lieutenant in the Bossier Parish Sheriff's Office in Louisiana, where she oversees detectives in the criminal division. She first started her career in Shreveport, Louisiana, before joining the sheriff's office. She worked with Rod Demery, a homicide detective in Shreveport, and last year joined him on the Investigation Discovery Channel show titled Murder Chose Me. It's now in its second season. She's also known for the Bossier Doe case, where she and her team combined the latest DNA testing methods with Facebook to bring closure to a 34-year-old murder case of an unidentified teenager. This is an episode not to be missed. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear other great detective stories, please go to the website and click on our podcast page. There you'll find the backlist. Now, you're probably asking, John, what about your own stories? Do you have any? Sure enough, I do. And they are available to you free as a download right to your inbox. I have eight short stories and eight vignettes in a book titled Mugshots, My Favorite Detective Stories. Now, here's my ask. You were either informed, inspired, or entertained by stories today. Don't be bashful. Share this link with your friend. Better still, go to the iTunes website and leave a review. It's the best way to grow the circle around our campfire. If you have any questions, please contact me through the website, www.johnhoda.com. J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Thanks so much, and have a great day.